Welcome to Women Thriving Unapologetically with Lindsay McCowan. Over the next hour, you will hear raw, honest, and inspiring conversation between Lindsay and her guests, discussing how to thrive, live joyfully, and abundantly in spite of life's challenges. Now, here is your host, Lindsay McCowan. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Women Thriving Unapologetically. I am your host, Lindsay McCowan, and it's such a pleasure to be here today because we have another amazing guest joining us. And so, ladies, do you feel like you're thriving or just surviving the daily grind of your life? So, you know, we all need both supportive internal and external conditions to thrive. And a lot of us experience this this struggle to actually feel as if we're thriving with all the things that we have going on in our lives. And so on today's episode, we're going to explore some of the social constructs and internal dynamics limiting us from the health, happiness, and success that we work so hard for. And so our guest today is going to offer us an intersectional and biopsychosocial perspective on the external landscape and share how the internal family systems model of consciousness can transform and empower our lives. So it's big, big stuff. And it's going to be an amazing conversation. But before we dive in and invite our special guest on, let's just take a moment to connect to each other and to this space and to our bodies. What we always do at the beginning of every show is take a moment to stop and pause and breathe. And wherever you are, we can do this. Whether you're standing or seated or lying down, you can take a moment just to stop all of the momentum and come to a still point where you are aware of your breath. And so just sensing the breath moving in and out through your nostrils and perhaps even bringing that breath all the way down into your belly where you can feel the soft rise of the belly as you breathe in and the gentle hugging in of the belly as you breathe out. Allowing this breath to tether you to a more grounded and calm place. To perhaps sense just for the briefest moment, this peaceful place. And you're welcome to stay with your breath, breathing into the belly for the duration of this show, taking as many breaths as you need or want. But because we have a radio show to do, I'm going to come back in this moment and be present for our guest. Because we take a moment to stop and breathe, we become more present to be having these incredibly powerful conversations. So today's guest is Karina Mirsky, and she is an international yoga educator, a parts work therapist, and a best-selling author. And I have read her book, and it's awesome. She is the founder of Sangha Yoga Institute and Yoga Mindset Coaching and has served as an adjunct professor of yoga studies at two universities. And Karina began teaching yoga in 1998, and she holds an MA in East-West Psychology and has been in private practice since 2009. As a survivor of trauma, cancer, and injury, Karina is committed to the biopsychosocial well-being of her clients, and Karina also aims to offer accessible and inclusive programs where she centers the experience of historically and marginalized groups. She has been featured in numerous publications, including Yoga Journal, who in 2008 named Karina one of the 21 
top famous yoga teachers shaping the future of yoga in America. So welcome, welcome, Karina, for being here. I'm so happy to have you here. Thank you, Lindsay. I'm so happy to be here. Thanks so much. Yeah, when you said yes to being on the show, I was like, oh my gosh, I know this is going to be a big conversation. And I immediately got a little nervous, like, am I ready for this? So <laughs> I know it's a big topic to try to cover in an hour, but we're going to do our best. We're going to do our best. And we always know that you can come back on the show or people can connect with you and learn more from you outside of this, this small um, opportunity they have today. So I would say learn with me because boy, yeah. this topic is something that is an evolving learning one two absolutely approach. yes yeah. yeah i love that you say that that we're learning with each other because we it it kind of breaks down that that tier of someone knowing more than you or that they have all the answers and it's like okay here we are you know you have a certain uh, an incredible amount of wealth um of wealth and of knowledge that you're able to share but you are still learning yourself and absolutely and i love that so and so why don't we just dive right in? We have a lot to cover. Okay. Sounds good. So in the description, we talked about the internal and external landscapes. And so what do you mean by that when you say that we all need these supportive landscapes, both internally and externally? Thanks. Yeah, we're talking really about the conditions. So the internal conditions is our state of physical or mental wellness or health at any given point in time. And these are our thoughts and our emotions, the sensations in the body, maybe pain, but definitely the beliefs that we carry. And those are the things that really govern our reactions and responses to the world around us. It's like, how are we feeling internally in this moment? So our internal conditions is the lens in which we perceive the world. It's like we're perceiving it through the level of energy that we have or the level of pain that we have, or we're seeing it through the the filters of our past experiences, like especially trauma is going to shape the way that we view the world, right? And all of these internal conditions are impacted by our external conditions, which are constantly changing, but then there are some things that are fairly consistent. So we have to really examine both the internal and the external conditions. And of course, the external conditions are the environments and the relationships and the circumstances of our lives that really impact the internal experience. And so if I'm considering kind of what's going on in my external conditions, I'm considering whether they're supporting my well-being. I'm looking at my home life. I'm looking at my work life, social life, spiritual life. And the question I ask is like, where don't I feel seen? Where don't I feel valued? Where don't I feel supported? Like what's not life-giving and supporting my internal conditions? And if I see that something isn't, then the next question is, well, what's within the agency of my control to actually change? Because some things are and some things aren't. Like systemic oppression is not something that I have personal agency to change, So it's important that I have support around those kinds of issues, but there are a lot of things and a lot more things than we think that we actually can change in our external conditions that can be more supportive to those internal conditions. And so what are some of the things that you hear from your, your clients like, oh, that they feel that they can't change, but they actually do have the power to change some of those external 
conditions? Yeah, the answer to that is largely it depends, right? Because mm-hmm. there's so many factors that play into what we can and can't change at any mm-hmm. given moment. Like someone might be able to easily change jobs and someone else might not be able to easily change jobs. Someone might be able to easily change relationships and someone else might not be able to easily change relationships. So when I work with a client one-on-one, I'm always looking for what is misaligned in the external conditions that the person as an individual actually does have agency to change. And sometimes it's one little step at a time. Sometimes it's um, a big step all at once, but it really depends on the individual and like what is really a possible in this moment. And sometimes there's little steps that have to be taken before a bigger step can be taken. Right. Oh, yeah. Cause those big steps can be really, really scary. And if she internal systems have a particular belief that they can't or blocking them, I can imagine that they're just like, it's just reinforcing that they can't change those external conditions. Right. And hearing you talk, it just seems like they're just so interwoven together and you almost have to thread out. Okay. What's the belief that's you know, keeping you in an external condition that's not nourishing. And how do you unravel that so that you can feel, you know, safe enough or the conditions are right internally for you to make the next step in order to remove yourself from those external conditions. That's right. And then sometimes if you just remove yourself from the external conditions, all of a sudden that just reinforces the that you can, and all of a sudden you can start to reshape your belief systems. Exactly. Exactly. And sometimes we have to take those little steps so that we can come into a more trusting relationship with ourselves to know that it is possible to make a bigger change if that's what's necessary. Yeah. And so like the, we talk a lot about thriving on this show and, you know, just to reinforce what thriving means in terms of the, the title of this show, it's just to be able to continuously move towards our goals and stay in alignment with our heart, regardless of the circumstances, those external circumstances that we can move through that. Um, it's not about an end point where oh, all of a sudden we have a certain amount of money in the bank or we have a certain particular body looks a particular way or have a, a relationship that we feel uh, or deeply nourished by, but it's just continuously moving forward. So I always like to, uh, not always, but I, I'm always intrigued to ask my, my, uh, my guests, like, what does, you know, thriving mean to you and what does unapologetic mean to you? Cause unapologetic means to me is like, I'm going to follow my heart even if it's scary, even if I'm like, what the heck, like, really, you want me to do that? That doesn't make any sense yet. (laughs) That's beautiful. I love the way that you're framing it in context of the show. You know, for me, when I'm trying to contemplate what something is, I often have to think about what it's not first and just to kind of get that whole landscape. So I actually contemplated the opposite of thriving unapologetically. And the thing that was like the overwhelming feeling in my body was the lack of support, like being so overworked, so overwhelmed, so exhausted that we're constantly falling short in daily life. We're constantly disappointing people. We're forgetting things. We're making these little mistakes and then we're feeling bad about it. And so we're carrying all this guilt. It's like, so we're struggling just to survive while we're carrying these feelings like anxiety or guilt or shame or self-doubt. And so that um, made me really think about toxic individualism was kind of the next wave of what it isn't or that came up for me um, in case people aren't familiar with that concept, you know, in Western culture, um, it, it defines us by our 
uniqueness, right? Like what defines us is what sets us apart from other people. And so we really pride ourselves on being self-reliant and American society definitely demands that women be wonder women, you know, who can do it all. We can, you know, manage a career and an education and a family and children and schools and communications and the house and dinner and laundry. And we're just supposed to be able to do it all. Right. And then we get really burnt out, of course. (laughs) And then this is made even harder. Like individualism by itself isn't really a bad thing, but it becomes really problematic when it's there's a, a term called ultra independence, which is like a trauma response. It's like if we grew up in conditions where we didn't feel seen, we didn't feel like we were being heard, we didn't feel like we were being cared for, no one was there for us. So we get this internal belief that we have to do it all by ourselves all the time. And that can be really depleting for a lot of people if that's the response. And then just one other piece about toxic individualism I'd like to mention is that it it becomes toxic when we prioritize our own individuality and our own personal freedoms over other people's safety. But that's kind of a conversation for another day. (laughs) Oh yeah. It's well, I mean, when you're, when you're talking, like when you say it's a lack of support, I personally have felt that in so many ways. And I, and I can see how I actually was receiving support. So it was also a limiting belief that I had that I wasn't getting the support that I needed. But then it was also, it was partially true too, because I was kind of mired in the individualism. I was not asking for collaborative support, really bringing in people to, to help lift me up and I lift them up. And, and so in trying to do everything by myself, I was reinforcing that belief that I didn't have any support because I wasn't getting the nourishment like that, that, like you said in the beginning, like, where am I not feeling like the support and this nourishment? And so now it's like, just in, you know, the last couple of years has been this shift where I'm like, okay, like, wait a second, this is not, this is toxic. This is, Mm -hmm. it it is poisoning me. I mean, Mm -hmm. I don't feel good most of the time. I really want to, to shift that. And then, and shifting that all of a sudden I'm starting to feel more fed and more support is coming in because I can see it and I can ask for it at the same time. Mm-hmm. And when you were talking about the the trauma response, I was like, oh my gosh, like our whole country feels like it's in a trauma response from not being able to like the people that came to this country and founded this country, you know, were really responding to their own trauma. And now it became this, like, I mean, I might just, I don't, I'm, this is not my, my expertise at all, but this is what I was thinking that is our whole country just rooted in a trauma response. Yeah. Multiple trauma, multiple traumas we have as a culture. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I think about being in Germany. I spend a lot of time there. I have three godchildren there and there is a national shame around their history but they own it and they're humble with it. And it is so painful that American society is doing everything it can to sweep its real history under the rug. You know, so there is a lot of problems in this individualization, this individuality, and this every man and woman and child for themselves. But you know, there are collectivist societies like those in Asia and Africa, where there's much less emphasis on that individual identity. And the, instead, they're more focused on doing what's best for 
everyone, what's best for the family, what's best for their community at large. And they live in this way that respects their interdependence with one another. And when you were talking about your experience, I'm thinking to myself, you know, it shouldn't be all on you. It shouldn't be all on us to have to always ask and do all that emotional labor to ask for what we need in a society that recognizes the need for community and communal dependence. You know, it's like people are are just there, right? We don't have to beg to be seen. We don't have to be begged to be supported. So um, I want to mention that I can't really isolate this conversation to women, it's really hard for me to talk about the suffrage of women in this country and the support for women in this country without including all historically marginalized groups of people into the conversation. So, you know, there are women, of course, and there are uh, Black and Indigenous people of color of all different ethnicities and queer folks. You know, they often, all of us, end up laboring way too hard. <laughs> in our careers, in our relationships. And we do that really for one underlying reason, which is fear of financial devastation, right? So we burn out because we're forced to survive the rules of a white supremacist, patriarchal, theocratic oligarchy. And that's really what the United States is, is right? Mm-hmm. And, and I think an example of that is just this um, focus on hustle culture, right? Productivity, no matter who you have to step on to get it done. Productivity and profit, like over people, over people's health, over people's well-being. That's really a problem. It's just really a problem, right? And most women and people of color in queer folks in our society, like we know that this not designed to support our well-being, right? And it's really obvious, like a, a perfect example is like just the wage gap. So respectively, on a white man's dollar, a white woman earns 78 cents, a black man earns 74% cents, and a black woman earns 63 cents on that 100 cents. So, I mean, it's clear, right? It's This society is not set up to support us because the powers at be who govern our, and control things like our healthcare and our financial and educational institutions, you know, they give women, especially black and brown women, kind of three options in our society. You and I emailed about this. It's like, we can either live in poverty we can work ourselves to death through this hustle culture, or we can be dependent on another person, which far too often might be an abusive person in some way, or some combination of those, right? Because it's really a rich white man's world and they set all the rules for us. So it's like the rest of us are just exhausted trying to survive in it. Yeah, so absolutely. that's a it's a really long-winded way of answering your question, but I, I, I'll try to answer it directly now, which is I think... That for women and historically marginalized groups of people to thrive unapologetically is to be seen, valued, and equitably supported in every aspect of our biopsychosocial lives. Because mm-hmm. when we feel seen and valued and supported, we feel connected and we feel safe to be our authentic and vulnerable selves and to chase our dreams, you know? Um, feeling connected and supported and safe is like the richest soil to thrive in. Oh, I love that. The richest soil to thrive in is one in which you feel seen, valued, and supported so that you can really, truly connect and feel safe, well, feel safe to connect to who you are and what you are really meant to be doing in this life. You don't, if you're just 
surviving and you're burnt out, you it's impossible. It feels like to be able to connect to that part of yourself. And it's just, there's, there's no time, no energy for right. it. And even if there is an inkling of yearning there, it's just like, well, how, how do you do that? Right. You know, if, if you're just so tapped out and feel pushed down by a system that is not about the collective and about, but just solely really about the individual, I want to say greed. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, I knew this conversation was going to be amazing. <laughs> so oh, we are actually up to our first break and that's always happens when we're having a great conversation. Time flies. So if you're listening, please stay tuned because we'll be right back with Karina Mirsky. And if you like to receive a really awesome three practices, actually, you can go to my website and gather up three practices that will help you feel held and supported and grounded. And that's Lindsay McCowan.com where you'll find the practices. And we'll be right back after this show, the show after this break. <laughs> Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Women, are you tired of chasing after your dreams? Exhausted and overwhelmed from trying so hard to have the perfect life? Do you yearn for more ease, freedom, and time to explore what is near and dear to your heart, yet have no idea how to stop pushing forward? Join your host, Lindsay McCowan, and others like you on a journey to awaken the divine feminine. When you awaken the Divine Feminine, you awaken parts of yourself that have been ignored, lay dormant, put on the back burners, or forgotten. When you fully ignite these aspects of yourself, you awaken your ability to thrive in all areas of your life, including relationships, finances, health, career, and purpose. You stop chasing after life and step into an easeful, magnetic flow. You become the magnet that effortlessly attracts joy, love, space to play, abundance, and magic that illuminates your life. Does that sound like the future you? Go to lindsay.tv slash goddess to sign up today. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You're listening to Women Thriving Unapologetically with Lindsay McCowan. Have a question for Lindsay or her guests? Want to share your story? Email Lindsay at thrivingunapologetically at gmail.com. That's thrivingunapologetically at gmail.com. Now back to the show. Here again is Lindsay. Hello and welcome back everyone to Women Thriving Unapologetically. I'm having an incredible conversation with Karina Mirsky on our show today. And we're really diving into the topic around how do we really thrive in a culture that is not designed to really support the collective or to that really focuses on toxic individualism over the collective and collaboration. And so I'd love to just dive right back into this because I know we still have a lot to cover. And we were talking about the internal and external landscapes and how they affect our ability to thrive and what might need to shift with that. So um, yeah, as a, let's talk a little bit about come back to the thriving unapologetically piece about what that means as an intersectional feminist and your perspective on 
what some of the next steps would be for people to be able to experience that that sense of thriving without having to apologize to their heart's guidance say, oh, I'm sorry, I don't have enough time. I don't have enough money. I don't have enough resources, so I can't. Yeah. Um, so we were kind of talking about the the external conditions. I feel mm. like in order for us to be able to get to how we do it, we kind of still have to unpack a few things yeah, about, you know, like what's limiting us. And some of those things that are limiting us are things that we're not really aware of. So I wanted to just define that term that biopsychosocial term for folks, because yes, please, I, I had I, to look it up. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I know that that's not a, it's not really a popular term yet, but it's starting to emerge. So yeah, I wanted to just address that quickly. So not leave anyone in the dark, but um, that term was actually coined in the pain science community. And I think I came across it for the first time when I was spending a little bit of time with a phone app called Curable. Have you ever heard of that? I have not. It's a, it's a, it's a paid subscription. Um, and it was actually worth it for me for a couple of months, if nothing else, just to get a huge download on the research. So this is a quote, I'm going to read you something from, from Curable. And it says, pain is not purely a physical experience as it was once believed to be. Today, scientists view pain through what's called a biopsychosocial lens, and it means that pain is not just a product of injury or illness in the body. It's an experience that is reflective of what's going on in the body, in the mind, in the environment, and in the social context, and that all of those factors actually influence our experience of pain. So like two people could have the exact same injury, and they're going to experience pain differently based on how fried their nervous system is from their external conditions or what their state of internal stress or anxiety or depression or, or illness is like all of those things are going to impact how we experience pain. And so kind of taking those into consideration, those internal and external conditions was like really exciting to me to see that from the medical community. I'm like, wow, finally a more humanistic approach to pain. And what that did is it it gave me this kind of glimmer of hope for more holism and intersectionality in medicine, which is really exciting. Yeah. I'm so, I'm so happy that you shared that because I had never heard of curable and that's a really beautiful explanation. And, um, and you know, while we're, while we're defining things, <laughs> <laughs> why don't we go ahead and define intersectionality as well? Absolutely. That's important too. So this term intersectionality has its roots in black feminist activism. So it was originally coined by American critical legal race scholar, Kimberly Williams Crenshaw back in 1989. And I actually came to this concept through reading essays of bell hooks in my graduate work in my, my master's degree program. And so I'll, I'll just read a couple little definitions here. The concept of intersectionality describes the way in which systems of equality or discrimination intersect, often creating this complex convergence of oppression. And another one is intersectionality is the acknowledgement that everyone has their own unique experiences of discrimination or oppression. And there might be multiple different ways in which a person can experience that based on a combination of their gender, their race, their socioeconomic position, their sexual orientation, their physical ability, yada, yada, right? And so an example of that, that I think is a really easy one to kind of wrap your head around is like, so take a, an African-American Muslim woman who's wearing hijab, right? So she's, she's wearing her head covering and she's being discriminated against. 
it would be like impossible for us to kind of separate out is the discrimination because she's female? Is it because she's black? Is it because she's Muslim? Like we can't separate those identities to isolate the dimension that's causing her discrimination, right? So that's an example of like this intersectionality, how one woman might experience it differently than another woman. So it sounds like you're asking us to really like, if we were really going to talk about thriving, we have to think about it from both an individual and a collective viewpoint through that lens. Yeah. So if that's the case, I mean, because that that starts to, I'm not going to say complicate it more, but it does make it a little bit more complex. So where do we start? This is where we have to start with the internal conditions, <laughs> right? This is where, okay, what do I actually have agency over? I have agency over my own body, my own breath. Like I can turn inward. I can try to regulate my nervous system. I can try to get to understand my reactions and my emotional responses better. You know, I can do that internal examination, right? And I think that, again, we need to be evaluating these internal conditions and external conditions frequently, you know, like like, sometimes we don't do it at all, you know, months or years can go by before we've evaluated if we're still happy in our job, right? Before we've evaluated if we're really getting our needs met, or if we need to have a conversation and a relationship to change something, or, you know, like we just don't give ourselves that space. So I really want to invite our listeners to be checking in regularly with the internal experiences that they're having and pay attention to what's happening in their external world that's impacting that, right? So that's just a constant evaluation. Now, one of the ways that I personally do that, a tool that I use and a tool that I train others to use and counsel others to use is called uh, parts work. So this was a term kind of coined by my spiritual psychology mentor, Dr. Tom Holmes, And it's born out of the internal family systems model of consciousness or IFS for short. And so that process really facilitates what I consider the three aspects that are needed for internal transformation, which is deconstruction of something old that's not working, right? Reconstruction of something new and then resourcing which is our ability to draw on the capacities either internally or externally to be able to do that deconstruction and reconstruction process, right? So IFS or the parts work is kind of a way to externalize what's going on in the mind and body to uncover like what's hiding in shadow that might be influencing us unconsciously and then allowing this healing light and compassionate awareness in. So um, personally, as I have done this work over the last 20 some odd years of deconstructing my own kind of limiting beliefs that were largely based on my past traumas, my past experiences, right? Like as I began to deconstruct some of the, the internal impression oppression that I uh, even uh, internalized myself, I started to see how, this white cis male superiority and patriarchy and misogyny are kind of woven into the fabric of society. And that even we as women participate with it and perpetuate it, whether we're aware of it or not. And, you know, an example of that would be how women judge themselves looking in the mirror, constantly judging their appearance or judging other women's appearance 
or one that really pains me, but it's also really obvious is that how women don't believe other women about sexual assault or sexual abuse when one in three women are going to experience it in their lifetime. And it's like, yet we're still, you know, denying that that's happening. And so that's part of that internalized oppression and, you know, collective healing and mutual, I'm sorry, collective healing and uh, individual healing. They're not mutually exclusive right? In order to deconstruct these systems of injustice and equality from culture, we kind of have to start with our own minds and bodies, right? So how, how could we expect as an individual to thrive when the collective is oppressed? And how could we ever expect to thrive as a collective when the individuals within it are oppressed, right? <laughs> so Absolutely. certainly there are plenty of people who have, you know, women and Black, Indigenous, or people of color or um, LGBTQ folks who have kind of found a way to thrive or at least appear to thrive under external oppressive conditions, but like no one can thrive under oppressive internal conditions. And so really to thrive, we have to first really look at the parts of ourselves that don't feel seen, that don't feel valued, that don't feel supported, the parts of ourselves that are getting triggered, that are having strong emotional reactions or responses, that are tripping us up in some way or limiting us from doing the things that we want to do. And we hear this in our language system all the time. There's this part of me that wants to do this, and there's this other part of me that just won't let me. Or there's this part of me that wants to um, make this change. And there's this other part of me that just can't do it. Cause you know, there's like these internal conflicts that we have. So the more that we can, you know, get curious about that, um, and it takes a lot of courage really to get curious about the parts of us that maybe we've kind of locked away into exile, like things that we, parts of us that we don't want to acknowledge, or even harder sometimes is to want to examine those critical internal voices, like that voice in our head that kind of is the abuser or is the oppressor in our own heads. So it takes a little bit of courage to come to this work. But once we start isolating and unpacking these individual schemas and kind of seeing what's why they're doing what they're doing, right? In the IFS model, it's like all parts of us are good. And so if we can understand the function of an individual aspect of our consciousness, and we can approach it with this curiosity and this acceptance and this compassion for whatever its individual role is, then we can start really understanding ourselves better, understanding what we need, understanding our reactions and responses, and it, and sending a lot of healing love and acceptance and compassion into the system. And it starts to harmonize. And those internal parts of us that were in conflict can start to see that they're on the same team and they're actually working together, right? So um, it feels very powerful to, like when you say like all of those parts of ourselves are inherently good because I have some really nasty parts that are yeah. beat my, uh, that beat me up all the time. And yeah. yet to be like, not bring out another part that's going to beat up that part for beating me up. <laughs> it's just like this... That everyone's in the arena, like a, it's like an what is it, an MMA fight going on inside <laughs> of me. And that conflict actually is very visceral. I mean, I can feel it in my chest yes. and my body. And it's just amazing how it can either incite me to action or shut me down or, you know, just, and, but always creating some level of stress in my body. 
yeah. without even there having to be external stressors come. I mean, but there are obviously external stressors coming in that are probably triggering those parts, but it becomes almost as if the internal stress becomes greater than the external stress yes. that's happening at that moment. And then all of a sudden I have both and I just yes. feel like, and then I start to, most of the time for me, I just go into this moment where I'm like, it's either fight or freeze for me, depending on what it is. Yeah. If it's an external stress, usually it's a fight reaction. If it's an internal stress, it's usually uh, a freeze where I just, everything gets locked down and I can't think and mm. get creative or let things flow. And I start to try to control things and I just can't um, get to that point where and I try to push myself through because that's what our culture tells us to do. And like, it doesn't work. It has to, <laughs> it does not work and no matter how hard I try. But it's really about stepping back and saying, okay, what do I need in this moment? What do I need? And paying attention to that. And as soon as I pay attention to that, it's like everything just starts to soften. And and I get to that point where like, okay, if I give myself what I need, then all of a sudden everything opens up again and I start to feel that creative flow again. And then even though the external stress is still there, I can have a broader perspective of it. And it's Mm. not ruling the roost and all the parts of me aren't, you know, even though they're now bloodied and they're just tired, they just need to go rest. <laughs> but, yeah, that, um, that's a great awareness, Lindsay, really great. Yeah. Awareness. yeah. And so what, what do we do when, you know, if we are so exhausted, like women are just so, and marginalized people are so just exhausted and what, but you know, we have, and this internal work can takes a lot of energy to do that. So I know you said it takes a lot of courage, but you get at this point where like, oh, now I have, now I have to, I'm watching what I'm saying, go (laughs) in and do all this internal work. I mean, and if you don't feel resourced to do it as well, maybe we could talk about the, the steps to do that. Sure. Maybe it would be helpful if we give the listeners a little bit more of a premise of the model that you and I are both yes, pretty familiar with. So I'll, I'll just, I'll just give a quick overview of, um, of the internal family systems model, which was developed in the 1980s by Dr. Richard Schwartz, who was, it was interesting. He was working with people with eating disorders at the time, and he would hear these clients of his talking about their internal dynamics around the eating disorder, almost as if they were different people living inside their head, right? It was like, there was this one part that would, you know, get activated in some way would feel um, bad about the client. And so it would eat for comfort, like something bad would happen. And then the client would maybe binge on the food. And then another part would feel guilty about doing that and then would purge, right? And then another part would feel shameful for having done that. And then the cycle would start again because then the comfort cycle of eating would start again. And so it's like Dick started to recognize that there are these individual schemas within us and they are not just thoughts. They are a fully embodied. And when you were talking about that, that embodiment that you feel like it feels ill when you're in these different states. It's because these parts of us are actually threefold. They are, and I, I use Dr. Daniel Siegel's hand model of the brain sometimes, and I know our listeners can't uh, see that I'm holding up my fist right now, but I'm the front knuckles are kind of the prefrontal cortex or the logical part of the brain. This is where our thoughts and cognition come from. And then the center of the brain is the amygdala, and that's our 
emotions and feelings. And then that's connected to the brainstem, right? The, which is the, where the nervous system travels all communication out to the body and then back to the brain. So we have mind and we have emotion and we have sensation that all come flooding up at the same time. So when one of these parts gets activated, we're going to think the parts thoughts, we're going to feel the parts feelings, and we're going to, in our bodies, we're going to actually have physical sensations that make the thoughts feel very, very real and very, very threatening in that moment, right? But another really important thing that I want to mention before we talk more about the model is that it is this premise that we are a multiplicity of subpersonalities and that each one of these schemas, each one of these parts has a really important role to play within the totality of the psychological system of the individual. So each part is important, each part is necessary, and and each part has a function. But the problem is that sometimes these parts were developed, you know, our human brains aren't actually fully developed until age 25. Like the prefrontal cortex isn't really fully developed until around then. So even though we might tell children that they're legally an adult at 18 or, you know, they can drink alcohol at 21, they're not actually able to make a completely fully logical (laughs) decision necessarily because teenagers are, you know, and, and kids are just completely governed by the amygdala. They're just governed by emotion. Right. So, um, as we are able to, I kind of lost my train of thought there for a second about, I got, went on the derail, <laughs> I, I menopause, I lost my train of thought. Um, yeah, you're talking about the, well, we started off talking about the brain and how it works. And when you, a part gets triggered, you have all this flood of emotions coming in and it starts to kind of, you start to think through that part. Like you, it's almost as if what I was hearing is you become that part in that yes. moment. Yes. Yes, exactly. So when you were saying that thing about what do I need? My question is, what part is that? Who's mm-hmm. who's here? Who like who just floated up into my mind and body and took over my consciousness, right? And so, oh, I was saying, now I remember. It was when the brains are developing in those early childhood experiences are actually shaping the way the brain physically develops. So the neurological patterns, the pathways of thought and emotion and sensation are like the train tracks are getting laid down at a very young age. So some of the issues that we're bumping up against as we are adults trying to thrive in the world, it's like we're shooting ourselves in the foot. We're getting in our own way, right? And it's like because of the internalization of our past abuser or because of the way that our brains actually organized and developed to protect us and keep us alive in maybe unsafe or um, unstable conditions. So the parts have formed in us, they're actually aspects of our personality that have formed in us to protect us and help us to cope with those life circumstances. And we have kind of three main categories of parts that they talk about in IFS. Um, My teacher actually kind of does away with that model and really focuses solely on the function of each individual part. But I think it is helpful for our conversation today just to mention those three categories of parts. So Karina, can we talk about those after the next break? I always hate to interrupt, but let's go ahead. Yeah, we'll come back to that. And I just want to reinforce that all parts are good because Mm -hmm. I was hearing that and especially in that they were created at a very young age to really protect us or have some function to, to really help us in some way in that moment. 
And uh, so we'll reinforce that. And then when we come back, we can talk about the different parts after the short break. Okay. So we'll be right back with Karina Mirsky after the short break. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Women, are you tired of chasing after your dreams? Exhausted and overwhelmed from trying so hard to have the perfect life? Do you yearn for more ease, freedom, and time to explore what is near and dear to your heart, yet have no idea how to stop pushing forward? Join your host, Lindsay McCowan, and others like you on a journey to awaken the divine feminine. When you awaken the divine feminine, you awaken parts of yourself that have been ignored, lay dormant, put on the back burners, or forgotten. When you fully ignite these aspects of yourself, you awaken your ability to thrive in all areas of your life, including relationships, finances, health, career, and purpose. You stop chasing after life and step into an easeful magnetic flow. You become the magnet that effortlessly attracts joy, love, space to play, abundance, and magic that illuminates your life. Does that sound like the future you? Go to lindsay.tv goddess to sign up today. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are listening to Women Thriving Unapologetically with Lindsay McCowan. Have a question for Lindsay or her guests? Want to share your story? Email Lindsay at thrivingunapologetically at gmail.com. That's thrivingunapologetically at gmail.com. Now back to the show. Here again is Lindsay. Welcome back to Women Thriving Unapologetically. We're having a great conversation here with Karina Mirsky. And we were talking about all of our different parts. And, you know, one thing that popped into my head as you were talking about, it's like, oh, you know, when you become that part, like when that, when you feel triggered by an external circumstance and that, that part comes forward, I feel like, oh, all of a sudden I'm 12 again, or all of a sudden I'm nine again. (laughs) And we don't realize, we don't realize that. And all of a sudden we're moving from that, that, that age. Right. And, and I was like, oh my gosh, that's not good. No, we, we don't want some eight-year-old part of us choosing our boyfriend. <laughs> oh, hell no. <laughs> and I can, see now, I can see now how she did. <laughs> right, exactly. I was, like, oh. I was like, oh, now I understand. But I, I would love for our listeners to be able to have an experience of um, their own parts. And you have an incredible uh, parts gratitude meditation that you're willing to share with our listeners. So do we, shall we just go ahead and dive into that? Absolutely. You know, just because time just seems to fly so quickly. And I wanted to talk about the three different categories of, of parts in IFS, but what I think we'll do instead is we'll just actually meet them internally and have an experience of getting to know them that way, rather than me talking about them. We'll just experience them. So is that, can we do that? Yeah, that's perfect. All right. So then why don't, if the listeners, if you're comfortable to take a pause with whatever you're doing, if you were kind of listening and doing something and you want to drop in for a second to do this experience, it's really can be quite profound in a really short period of time. And if you're not in, have the capacities, if you aren't able to drop in right now, um, we're going to gift you with a, a 
this video will be recorded, but there's also a video on YouTube that you can do this meditation. So, all right. If you're ready to close your eyes for a moment, when we close the outer eyes, the inner eyes of like imagery and experience, they really open. So maybe just take a moment to become aware of your body and the space occupied by your body. And aware of the flow of breath expanding and contracting. And let that breath, every exhale, just draw you deeper and deeper your attention inward. To the inner world of thoughts and feelings, experiences, sensations. Because somewhere in this world, there is a group of parts of yourself. We call them the managers. And these are the parts that have to manage things in our lives. Everything. They have to get things done, manage those tasks, manage family, manage food, manage relationships, manage our homes, manage our internal world of feelings and emotions. So these manager parts work really, really hard. And I'm wondering if maybe you can come up with an image in your mind, maybe a shape or a color that sort of represents like the head manager of your team, the one who's just got to make sure that everything gets done and that everything is okay. And that really strong feelings don't flood you in the middle of the day and distract you from your life. Have to manage difficult relationships and they have to analyze and figure things out. I mean, this part of us works so hard and chances are really good that it's exhausted. And the whole team of other kinds of managers, like helping managers and health managers and financial managers. I wonder if you could just take a moment to maybe recognize how hard these parts work. And if you could speak directly to it or to the whole team, could you just offer it some gratitude? Some appreciation for how hard it works in it still feels like it's not getting everything done. The checklist is never ending. The emotions sometimes get out of control. It's sometimes these parts of us that are working so hard to keep everything organized, controlled, and manageable. Sometimes they fail and they're so exhausted and they really just need to be acknowledged and appreciated. And just feel what that feels like in your body to just say thank you to that aspect of yourself. Sometimes I like to imagine that my really exhausted manager is like laying on a beach somewhere, getting nourished in some way. And you might want to sense something like that happening or give your manager a gift of some kind. The next group of parts are the exiles. And those are the ones that have to carry really strong feelings, past memories and traumas. It's a really shit job, but somebody has to do it to carry those feelings and memories and So maybe you have a sense or an image of your mind or a shape or a color that kind of represents the parts of you that have to carry the painful feelings and strong memories and reactions, the shame, guilt. And just recognize that this part has a hard job and it really deserves to be acknowledged and appreciated. And the final group of parts are the firefighters. 
And these are the parts whose job it is to uh, come and save the day when those exiled parts that carry the strong feelings actually sneak by a manager part and flood us with painful thoughts and painful emotions. (laughs) So the firefighters are the ones that come to put out those feelings. So they do that often through distraction, right? Those are our parts that scroll on our phones or maybe smoke or drink or engage with porn or sex or whatever distracting behaviors to numb out the pain. And sometimes those parts get a bad rap because they are also the parts that can lead into addictions if those firefighters get overly active. But it's important that we recognize that they're doing that to try to help us and protect us from being flooded with feelings that we might not be able to hold in that moment. So just taking a moment to maybe identify your key firefighter, the part of you that does its distracting behaviors. And just know that it is good, even if it gets a little overworked sometimes, and just offer it a moment of appreciation. And feel what that feels like in the body to just be grateful towards it, even even if it's not always helpful. That's its job. It's the only thing it knows how to do. So let's just take one moment to breathe together and send some appreciation to all of our parts, the ones that have to manage and figure things out, get things done, the ones that have to carry painful memories and feelings, and the ones that try really hard to help get us out of those triggers when they happen. Thank you so much, Karina. That was beautiful. And I love, love, love that meditation just to send some gratitude and love to all those parts that are working so hard and that they are all inherently good. And if you want to continue to do this meditation again and again, definitely look up and we'll have this in the the podcast version of the show notes, but you can look up on YouTube, Karina Mirsky, and it will be there in a parts gratitude meditation. And we only have uh, about a minute left. So Karina, where else can we find you? Our listeners find you. I have a retreat coming up in April in uh, Florida at the Pyramids of Florida, which is really exciting. And I'm running the Yoga Mindset Coaching Program online, which blends classical yoga philosophy with the internal family systems model of consciousness to teach people how to work one-on-one with clients to help them to identify these parts and nourish them, mind, body, and soul, um, and on the mat to gain extra support for the self which is the aspect which we didn't talk about, but the aspect of the model that can be in relationship to the to the parts and can help to heal them and to send them the gratitude and send them compassion and understanding. That's our core self, our most calm, clear, centered self. And that's really my mission in everything that I do. So you can find me at yogamindsetcoaching.com or sangayoga.com. And I'd love to keep in touch. Yeah, thank you so much. And I'm actually in the yoga mindset coaching and it's absolutely fabulous. So I highly recommend reaching out to Karina. She has so much to offer and you guys, you can, and you can learn together. Um, so thank you again so much and please stay tuned uh, next week. We have another amazing guest and we air every single Thursday, 10 a.m. Eastern standard time. And be sure to reach out to both Karina and I on Instagram so that we can stay connected outside of this incredible uh, opportunity on the radio show. So thank you so much. And until next time, many blessings and much love. Mm 
Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Women Thriving Unapologetically. We hope we've inspired you to claim your birthright to thrive. Tune in next week where we will continue to give you the tools you need to flourish, prosper, and thrive. Until then, have a beautiful week.